0: This is the power to Podcast, show 112.
1: And I'm like, what's going on in school? Like, why wasn't there some way of identifying, hey, this kid isn't like the other ones. This kid is special. How can we make sure to, to take these kids' interest? to a real-world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly
0: sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students.
1: Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you.
0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Kennerman, host of the Power to Podcast, and I am here with my co-host, Mr. Matt, the sweetheart Rogers. Matt, happy Valentine's Day, my friend! It'll come out afterwards, but we are recording on on two fourteen here. Um, do you do anything special in the classroom? Do you have party or Valentine exchanges or
2: anything like that going on? Ken, I have rebranded the leftovers from my Super Bowl uh, party as my Valentine's gift. So I just keep on bringing some leftovers every single day. They don't need to know that they're leftovers and that I don't need to eat them all. So we had soft pretzels on Monday and today we had some leftover waffles to go with ice cream. We'll see what I can pull out of the fridge for our last day of the week because we only have three days of work this week. Mm, Yeah going into to President's Day weekend.
0: So we had, we had an awesome guest tonight. I had the pleasure of seeing him speak in my district back in October. Uh, he keynoted to launch one of our big days of professional learning. And uh, Danny is a bundle of energy, uh, a wealth of knowledge and stories. And just like his messages are all about
2: bringing the joy back to teaching. What was, what was one of your biggest takeaways? I think that we we talked on you know on the air as well as after just about the the love of education the opportunities of education and really finding giving ourselves the permission to find what we've learned and developed through our connections with kids and turn those as assets in our teaching not they don't need to be independent whatever highlightable feature a kid could have is an important attribute that they can bring to the classroom, feel successful with, and that will make a huge difference. That might be later that afternoon as you teach a math lesson or years down the line when they view themselves differently because of how you highlighted them. What about you?
0: So, his stories are incredible and the wealth of knowledge, like I said, that he has is is really interesting. Honestly, it was at the end, I thought his exit ticket questions or his, his answers to our questions were some of the best that we've ever had. Just very different. Uh, they're usually related around the same themes and I would say his even play into the same themes, but the way he delivers the answers and the some of the specifics in his answers, I thought were gold. And so I, I really thought his exit ticket answers were, were fantastic. So um, I would highly encourage you to, you know, listen to his stories and his analogies. We talk about chat GPT for the first time, and I'm sure it's not the last time on this podcast, how AI is impacting education. But those, those answers at the end were, were really, really incredible. So without any further delay, let's jump right into that interview and conversation with Danny Purcell. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Hi, Danny. Welcome to the Powered Up Podcast. How are you doing tonight?
1: Hunky-dory. Thanks so much for having me, Ken and Matt. I mean, uh, I love everything that you do. Thanks for spreading a little bit of joy in the world. We need a lot more of you and a lot less of uh, the nonsense I hear too much of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited to jump into this conversation. I had the pleasure of seeing you speak to our our staff earlier in the year, earlier in the school year. And hey, there's no better way to celebrate Valentine's Day than the three of us <laughs> to sit around here on a on an online call and, and talk teaching. So uh for our audience, please officially introduce yourself. Let us know where you're coming from and and I know you have a, a wealth of experience, but just kind of give us a snapshot of your experience in education.
1: Oh, well, thanks for that, Ken. Well, I'm, I'm Dr. Danny Bursell. Uh I'm considered America's leading reading ambassador, which is ironic because I grew up hating reading. My father was a librarian and I always hated the public library growing up. It always smelt funny to me. There was always uncomfortable furniture. There was always an, a, uh, an elderly woman telling me to be quiet There's always some freaky homeless guy who thinks he's a vampire hanging out by the bookshelves. I always hated the library, and it wasn't until I started teaching in South Central Los Angeles where I observed that a lot of my kids didn't have the advantages I had growing up, and I basically said, shame on me. I mean, I was very blessed. I I grew up, both of my parents were in the home. Uh, We were lower middle class, but we always had food on the table. And my parents always read in front of us kids. They read to us kids. And we always had plenty of access to reading materials. And so it really became my passion to get my kids excited about reading. Because the more excited we get kids about reading, the more likely they are to read. And the more they read, the better they get. I mean, you guys will agree with me. I I, I think schools do an adequate job teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read, because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read. I want them to choose to do it on their own. And one of the great things that uh, both of you, Matt and Ken, I mean, you're, you're like me, a lot of your work in elementary schools, and we're losing so many boys, especially, because we're forcing kids to read things that they don't necessarily want to read, and it just makes them... You know, it's like basically telling kids eat your vegetables, whether you like them or not. I mean, I remember in high school, I had an English teacher, and she made us read the Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And not to offend any Hawthorne fans out there, uh, but basically the book is about Hester Prynne committing adultery, and so she has to wear an A on her chest. And I raised my hand in class and I asked my teacher if I could wear a B on my chest because I was so bored reading that book. (laughs) And This is the problem I see in so many schools is, you know, the way the the research is very clear on this. It doesn't matter what you read. What matters is how much you read. It doesn't matter if you're reading James Joyce or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more read better. And so the tip I always give parents is, hey, that little boy who only wants to read Captain Underpants is going to become a better reader than the little boy who refuses to read anything. Captain Underpants is the gateway drug to Shakespeare, but we got to get the kid hooked first. And so that's one of the big things. And this is what I love about you guys. You're coming up with innovative ideas on how to get kids engaged. I mean, now more than ever. I mean, you know, all human beings have a limited attention. um, I'm sorry, what we were talking about. uh, Yeah. We're to can't pay attention for more than like 17 seconds, give or take 17 seconds. And so that's what I love about this show. We're coming up with ideas of what are some ways that parents and, and teachers can get those kids excited about learning so that they're lifelong learners, not just in school, but in life.
0: So I, I just had an interesting experience that <clears throat> dies right into what you're talking about with this this idea of reading. I was working with um, I was cons- consulting with a school, and I was working with a high school teacher, who was really just venting to me about the frustration of the kids were not they they don't read. He knows they're not reading the books that are being assigned. They're not engaged with the content, and not only are they not reading, then when it comes to trying to facilitate conversation, elicit critical thinking, there's nothing to base it on. And so he had a book coming up, ni- 1984, which everybody is familiar with. Ironically, the content is like becoming more and more relevant as, as life goes on here in, in the real world. But I said, how about, how about you pull out the most important pages, the most important paragraphs of chapters, and you say to you, you either read it or you assign that one page, that one paragraph to your students and have them read it. And then you fill in the gaps. You provide context to what that, how that is relevant, why you pick that. You kind of fill in the rest of the gaps. And then you elicit that critical thinking conversation. And that was about a month ago. And I just revisited with him. And for the most part, it accomplished the goal of the critical thinking piece. He said the conversations are much more rich. The kids are much more engaged because they're not being forced to read something that they don't want to read. And so they weren't reading it before. So nothing has really changed. And our conversation continued from there. So now how do we get them to read? So we've got the engagement piece and the critical thinking piece. And so now we're looking at them just bringing in their own texts to read and applying the skills that he's teaching to their own independent books. So, you know, trying to hit hit both of those avenues because I am a former non-reading student myself. I found every way not to read every book I was assigned. And I got through with mostly B's and a few A's in, in honors classes because I figured out how to do it. And and it, I paid for it when I got to college and I had to read and my reading skills were terrible. So, you know, it's just it just made me think of that. So what are what are strategies that you encourage teachers to use or that you work with teachers to use to one, build students capacity for reading and that love for reading, but also teaching them the important reading skills of summarizing and inferencing and, and all those all those facets.
1: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to something else you had said, Ken. When you got to college, you weren't prepared to be a good reader. But I always argue to people. I'm like, well, what? Show me what what job do you have where your boss says, "I need you to read this novel by tomorrow." But that's what we're doing in school. I mean, that's one form of reading, and I I, I appreciate that as a form of reading. But here I am a PhD, and I don't understand the manual on how to program my DVR. Uh, but my wife understands that. So, I mean, is she a better reader than me? Well, maybe she is, you know, why the three of us were having a great sports discussion earlier. I mean, when I taught second grade, I had a little boy, Kiara and Kiara's first grade teacher told me, Kiara don't know nothing. I'm like, thank you for that. Well, Kiara, who don't know nothing comes into my class one day. He's like, Hey, Mr. Bissell, you see Barkley last night? He had 18.16 boards. I'm like, Thank you, Kiara, because from that day forward, every day after lunch, I'd sit Kiara on my lap. We'd read the L.A. Times sports page together, and by the end of the year, guess what? Kiara was one of my best readers, and I swear that kid would only read about sports, but that's fine. We got him interested in reading. I love, again, what you were doing with that high school teacher with 1984. I mean, how do you make it relevant to a kid in 2023? How do you make any literature relevant? I'm always trying to find that, you know, when I taught eighth grade uh, special education it wasn't special education it was 16 boys that nobody else wanted to teach eight african-american eight latino and if their life wasn't miserable enough they got stuck with the white dude as the teacher well fortunately i taught in compton in south central la there's a great author from the area named walter mosley he wrote a great book called always outnumbered always outgunned about gangs and so, when I'm, I'm forced to teach them Shakespeare, now I can say, well, here, we're gonna, we're gonna read Shakespeare, we're gonna read Always Outnumbered, Always Outgunned. Now, you see, basically, these are both about gangs. And, like, the way these British guys are talking, that's just their slang. And all of a sudden, the guy's like, oh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, they're just a gang, and this is the way they talk. You know how we talk? And, like, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, this, you're making a connection with the kids. I mean, if you don't make it connected to anything, you're wasting everybody's time. And I don't understand why we're forcing kids to do a lot of the things that we do when I'm like, the world's changed. I mean, you know, all of a sudden there's chat GPT, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's artificial intelligence that's really good. I was I've been playing with it. I'm like, wow, how would I handle this as a teacher? And would I I'm not a person that fears technology. I try to embrace technology. I'm trying to figure out, well, how do I get, how do I use this to my advantage with my kids? Um, there's a great book. I don't know if you guys have read it, you should, uh, called Teacher Man by Frank McCourt, who uh, won the Pulitzer Prize for Angela's Ashes. For 30 years, he taught in uh, New York City at some BoTech high school. And he was trying to get his kids to write and they would never write anything. But he noticed that uh, they were forging uh, absence, absence letters from their parents on why they had missed school. And he, he tells the kids, I, I, know you're, I know you're forging them because they're way too interesting. I mean, if your parents wrote it, they would just say, oh, he was sick, but you're writing all these really creative ideas. And so he made the writing assignment. Um, okay, you're Adam and Eve, and you're writing a letter to God explaining why you ate the apple. Give me the excuse note all of a sudden the kids started writing like crazy and they did like excuse notes for like presidents and stuff. And I'm like, that's a smart teacher. You figure out well, what are the kids interested in? I mean, I was with a ninth grade teacher recently and she was assigning worksheets to these kids. And I'm like, based on the standard you're trying to teach, why don't you have the kids create a website? And instead of spending 20 minutes doing a nonsense activity that the kids don't care about, they'll spend probably about 15 hours of home time because they're so excited to create this website, you know, the three words I always tell teachers is remember these three words, book reports stink. They get kids to hate reading. You know, you don't have to summarize. Like the reason I love Oprah, Oprah talks about books, the way people talk about their favorite sports teams and their favorite TV shows. She gets people excited about reading. There's other ways that you can demonstrate, you know, Hey, you read the book, create a hip hop song that explains the whole plot of the book. You read the book here, do a video where you're going to reenact different things. I mean, this is where critical thinking and excitement, uh, you know, I don't want to prepare kids for misery in their future careers. I want them always to be curious and excited. You know, I, I, there's nothing worse than seeing a burnt out person. Actually there is one thing worse than seeing a burnt out adult. It's seeing a cynical 15 year old, like kids. I love, you know, I hated reading growing up. Actually, I was blessed uh, in seventh grade. My seventh grade reading teacher was a guy by the name of Will Hobbs, who's now one of the best-selling young adult authors on the planet. He writes books that are especially popular with teenage boys, a lot of outdoor adventure books. And Will was the first guy to get me interested in reading. He had 5,000 books in his classroom. And every day at the beginning of class, he would tell us what he was reading. We would tell him what we were reading. And the rest of the 50-minute period, we read Whenever we finished a book, we'd go up to Mr. Hobbs, he'd put down the book he was reading, look through our book, he'd ask us three or four questions. If he was satisfied with our answers, he'd give us a point. Every book up to 200 pages is worth one point. Every extra 100 pages is worth another point. You needed 25 points to get an A, and the top five point totals had their names written on the board. And I wanted my name written on that board. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne. 500 page book, four point book. Also an excellent Disney film starring James Mason and Kirk Douglas. I didn't really feel like reading a 500 page book. So I took the book up to Mr. Hobbs. He asked me four questions. I learned a valuable lesson that day, Matt and Ken. I, I learned that books and movies aren't always the same. And guess what Mr. Hobbs did? He gave me the four points. And that's when I learned a great teaching strategy, guilt works, because I read every word of every page of every book from that point forward, wound up with 44 points, went well above and beyond what I had to do. He used the single greatest strategy I've ever seen a teacher use to get a kid excited about reading. He found out what I was interested in, which was football. And at least once a week, he'd come up to me with a book. He'd be like, hey, Danny, check out this book on John Elway. I know you'll like it. What are the odds I open up that book? In my experience with all age levels, 100%. You know, kid might not read it, but they're going to open it. And also in my experience, by the fourth time I do that with a kid, they're going to try and read that book because there's nothing more powerful than somebody significant in your life, a teacher, a coach, a pastor, a parent, a buddy, an older sibling saying, you know what? I was thinking of you when I was reading this. And so it's not rocket science, but a lot of what you, Ken, and you, Matt, are doing for your audience is – the things that come to us naturally as teachers a lot of people don't think of those things and that's why you're doing a huge public service even there's even a lot of teachers out there they're great teachers but they're not necessarily creative they're not i mean even that high school teacher i'm sure he's a great teacher he's just dumbstruck trying to figure out well how do i meet the pennsylvania state standards and you know I, I always point this out to people i'm like i've never seen that inspirational teaching movie where they say he went into inner city philadelphia And he inspired his students by using the state's mandatory scripted reading program i've never i've never seen that movie but i see movies where teachers inspire with poetry or with getting the kids acting or with getting the kids outside doing field trips and getting into their community and so that's what this is all about how do we get people thinking outside the box people don't understand this about education if you have 33 students in your classroom you have 33 totally different learning motivations in your classroom and this is what the art and the science of teaching, it really is. is trying to figure out, well, what is it? What's the fuel that runs each of these students? How do I get them? It's like being a coach. I had a coach in in high school, my basketball coach, and at the awards banquet, he was giving me an award for most improved player. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, some players you can yell at, some players you got to talk to. Danny, you got to talk to. And because he yelled at me once and I like, had like five fouls within two minutes I was so angry but I'm like that's funny because every kid's a little bit different you know even when I'm coaching some you know you watch an Eagles game you watch the coaches with certain some players they're they're screaming in their ear they never do that with a quarterback I never see quarterbacks get screamed at they're like oh you're all right you're all right can I adjust your dress uh yeah I mean we talk to them a little bit differently so I'm sorry that's a very long answer to a short question Ken but uh I guess the gist of that is different strokes for different folks.
2: Well, I, I think, you know, we keep on hearing this surge of social and emotional learning and, you know, thing ways to get to know our learners. And I think the clear aspect of this is, obviously, as you're developing these relationships, which we've always done, now I feel like we have better, you know, permission to take time to develop that if you're not taking that information as intel for when you're teaching math and when you're teaching ELA and reading skills and science if you're not taking that beyond just oh i can rattle off these facts about these kids then you are missing the entire point of that building the relationship but i guess the the most direct question that i have related to this is you know I think we all recognize entry points. Finding a a concept that is really pertinent to a kid that they love and giving them access creates that snowball effect. And maybe a kid never reads anything other than Matt Christopher for the entire year. The likelihood that they've read more that year than they ever had before because you found that entry point creates a snowball effect for them to have access to, you know, the disassociation that reading is bad for me or that it's boring or it's not enjoyable they can associate it and maybe it's years down the line that they can find a love of reading i guess my my question to you is we all i think agree with that philosophy but sometimes we don't give ourselves permission to break away from that state mandated or you know district identified curriculum that we feel obligated, I'm I'm 14 years into the career, I feel comfortable enough to do good teaching practice, because I've kind of worked my way through it. But a teacher at a earlier point, may not feel like they can break away as easily, even if they know it's good for kids.
1: Yeah, you're making really good. I'm, I feel like a Baptist in your front row, Matt saying amen. I mean, uh, we have a lot of handcuffs on educators because they're all worried. Am I doing it right? Am I on the right page today? Uh, and we're, we're letting the, the art of teaching slip that way. I mean, uh, I had to make a conscious decision. I, I basically said, hey, if I'm going down, I'm going down my way. I, I you know what, I, I'm not accepting this. And, uh, you know, I'm not into teaching for the high income. And if they want to fire me, they can fire me. But, uh, you know, now, and I'll tell every teacher right now, they're so, they're so desperate, you know, you have to do something pretty bad to a kid now to get fi- I mean like the state of Oregon just waived the bachelor's degree. They're so desperate to get teachers. The state of Idaho went to a four day school week because the teachers refused to, I mean, you're seeing it in society, it's crazy. We, we dump on people. And that's why I'm telling people, let's take a deep breath. Um, we, were, we were talking about the Super Bowl and, and talking about referees, but I, I've been looking at the statistics on how it's so difficult to get referees in any sports anymore because people scream at them all the time. I'm like, what's happening to people? Can people be a little bit kinder to one another? I mean, I didn't realize that everybody else is perfect. And uh, after I watch on the football game, the, the slow motion from 20 different angles. I'm like, how did the ref miss that with the blind naked eye? I mean, it's unbelievable, the standard. And we say that to teachers too. I, I was very fortunate, uh, that people gave me some leeway. The two best words that I've learned are, I'm sorry, I have a lot to learn. Um, there's things I need to learn culturally about my students. There's things, uh, there's things I can't even comprehend. Uh, there's things about the bureaucracy of the schools. I don't understand. Um, and so Matt, I really, I know that a lot of your listeners identify with that. They, they want to be that inspirational teacher, but they're being told at their faculty meeting, you uh, know, that they have to do this and, you know, they're going to be judged on the test scores and things like that. And, um, you know, it's tough if you have a family and you're the breadwinner and you're like, well, I need to keep this job. Um, you know, you're, you're falling into a trap. It's, it's difficult. And uh, unfortunately, I don't really have a sufficient answer on how do you get around that? Because uh, I got fired a lot when I was a teacher. I, I actually have a whole file of all the different times I got fired because I have a mouth on me. I mean, even when I became an administrator, I'd be at meetings and I'd always say, wait a second, if the answer to my question is not because that's what's best for this kid. Why are we doing it? I mean, I, I now read voraciously. I love reading biographies, and especially biographies of successful people in sports and the military and government and business. And there's one thing that's fascinating about most of these biographies. They have one thing in common. Most of these successful people dropped out of school And I'm like, what's going on in school? Like, why wasn't there some way of identifying, hey, this kid isn't like the other ones? This kid is special. How can we make sure to to take these kids' interest? I mean, thank God Bill Gates found a computer at his school. He took an interest and he had a teacher that was willing to support that interest in his teaching. Thank God that, uh, you know, famous actors of our day have like that one drama teacher that's like, hey, I know you're going to be feeling all these. I mean, here, we'll use the Super Bowl. I mean, Jalen Hurts is a great example of people his entire life telling him he couldn't do it. But I guarantee you there was at least one person in his ear all the time saying, I believe in you. And that's why I became a teacher. When I realized Oprah had a teacher that believed in her and could, cr- could inspire a woman that became a self-made billionaire, but more importantly, she's affected and inspired countless people around the world i'm like that's the power of a really good teacher i'm a big believer in uh, you know i used to always tell that to my students i said you know what sometimes you need somebody else to believe in you before you believe in yourself i believe in all of you they only give me the best and the brightest so let's go make a difference in this world i mean you get the kids hearing that all the time but i've been blessed i mean i think both of you have been blessed i mean I, when I started seeing the, the home environments of a lot of my students, I'm like, I mean, my, my wife is from Singapore, and she grew up in the most negative environment possible. People her entire life telling her what she couldn't do, whereas I have a photograph of me when I was four years old, wearing space boots, a San Diego Charger jersey, a sheriff's badge, and a fireman's helmet, because I was going to be the first ever astronaut, professional football player, police officer, and firefighter. I mean, that's the world I grew up in, and I think every kid deserves to be in a world like that. And I know you guys believe in the same, we're all on the same fire. I mean, we're all, we have these big ideas and unfortunately we have a lot of little minds running the whole system. I mean, if it was up to me, I'd get rid of standardized testing tomorrow. We'd say $5 billion. I'd reinvest that money in school counselors in physical education, in art, in music, in field trips. You know, these are the things we get rid of. And I'm like, I, I swear, We find out what kids are interested in, and then we mandate that they can't have it in school. And it's crazy to me. So I'm sorry. I'll I'll get off my soapbox. I I, I know all three of us are – that's why you guys have this podcast is, man, you're in the box during the day. This is outside the box in the evening. And, man, the listeners out there, if you can just implement – you don't have to implement – well, I have a pastor – he always says that he's like, folks. I don't expect you to do everything I just suggested, but for goodness' sake,s please try something. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. And <clears throat> so, in your in your experience, when you were working in, I think mostly Los Angeles as a as a teacher, you've you've mentioned multiple times that the the home life and the culture that the students you were working with was much different than what you grew up with. So, what were some, or what was one particular big moment where that was? a huge realization for you as a young teacher or new teacher. And what would you recommend to teachers in environments where it's not similar to where they grew up? So they've maybe moved to a completely different state, just a different County or, or just the demographic of students is much different than their, than what they grew up in as a child. And and how can those teachers embrace that and, and learn about that of their students, but also, maybe encourage them to realize that the home life you have is
1: not,
0: does not have to be your future trajectory.
1: Yeah. I mean, we were kind of talking about this a little bit when I was in the green room before we went on the air. I mean, uh, there's just total differences out there that we're not paying attention to all the time. I, uh, my first three years teaching, I never met a father. Uh, my first, Year teaching, not a single one of my students' mothers had the same last name as their child. Um, It was a very different environment. than, uh, And it was interesting. Even though I was making a lot of money as a public school teacher, I decided to take a tutoring job after school for the fun of it. And uh, it was funny because I tutored in a very affluent area. And at Christmas, I'll never forget... Uh, One of the one of my colleagues at the tutoring center, she was complaining because one of her students only gave her a $50 gift card for Nordstrom's for Christmas. And I'm thinking, wow, Erica, she gave me this little cardboard box she had decorated with little stickers and crayons and it had a half eaten Jolly Rancher, a little ball and like a little doll she liked. And I'm like, but that was more precious to me. I mean, this is these are things that were her treasures. Um, but it it, it can be hard. I mean, I was very blessed. I I taught at a school um, where I was the only man in my school. I I think you guys probably have had a lot of similar experience with this where you start to realize, wow, you might be the only real male role model a lot of these kids have, and I took that very seriously. Um, I I would cry myself to sleep many nights uh, after hearing – the kids talked to me about certain things uh, and I was blessed. I, I taught with predominantly elderly African American women from the South who all had been teaching 20 years. And my mentor, Mrs. Turner, she'd been teaching 40 years, and she was my guardian angel, and she saw that it was getting to me. And she said, Miss Purcell you gotta you gotta start laughing about this stuff or you're not gonna last. And so I started I started trying to laugh every day about, oh, okay, you know, these are kind of ridiculous situations. But people always ask me, what was your best day, uh, your first year teaching um, uh, elementary school in the inner city?" I said, "Well, my best day was at Christmas time I bought all my kids Christmas presents. I got them all boxes of dominoes because I figure, oh, this is great there's a math objective we can do uh, all kinds of math with dominoes and I gift wrapped every box and I put a candy cane on each box and so I give them to the kids right before Christmas and uh, uh, the kids unwrap them. And of course, they're throwing them at each other. They're eating them. They're doing everything that they're not supposed to be doing. And I had a little boy, Gonzalo, and he refused to open up his present. I'm like, Gonzalo, why aren't you opening up your Christmas present? And he looks up to me. He says, oh, I want something under the tree this year. That was my best day. Uh, I mean, it, it got to me. Seeing that, uh, you know, I would do walk-home visits. I, I was in a neighborhood school. And so I could do walk-homes with the kids and, uh, just a really negative environment. The, the things the kids are seeing every single day. It was kind of like when I was watching the halftime show at the Super Bowl. I'm like, you know, there are kids watching this. I mean, uh, I'm wondering if next year the NFL is just going to have a couple of people having sex on the, on the stage at halftime. Cause I'm like, this is getting crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm not that crude, but I'm like, you know, there is a, a point where, uh, come on folks, let's, uh, let's make it a little bit, uh, you know, I'll give you a story. I had two little kids, Amunique and Jose. And Amunique and Jose got in a fight every single day. They drive me nuts every single day, Amunique and Jose. And um, uh, one day they get in a fight and Jose, I'm like, what's going on? And Jose's like, Amunique keeps on calling me a bad word. And so I, I'm, I'm new idealistic teacher. I'm like, I get next to Jose. I'm like, okay, whisper in my ear what Amunique called you. And he says, uh, "She says I'm a stupid." And I'm like, "Okay, okay, right. At least Aminek her, her language is all right." And so I give her a big talk, you know. Okay, Aminek, we need to be kinder to one another. And so then I feel I feel like I'm the good teacher. I resolved it peacefully and amicably. Well, then the next day they're getting a fight again. Every day, same thing. And I'm on the other side of the room working with another student, and I'm like, "What's going on?" And Jose, he's like, "She keeps on calling me a bad word." And I, I. I I'm like, Aminique, stop calling Jose stupid. And Aminique, at the top of her voice, this is a, a little six-year-old. She's like, I didn't call him stupid. I called him an F and blank and <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, I played high school football and I never heard some of the phrases that were coming out of these kids' mouths. It was a real eye-open. And I'm not judging. I'm not here to judge at all. I mean, I learned a lot from the kids. I mean, heck, you know, uh, I mean, I always tell people you need to try and get in other people's shoes. Here, there, there's kids that amazed me. I mean, I had some of my uh, some of my Spanish-speaking students. I I would watch, and that kid would be the the kid that would go to the bank and speak to adults because that would, you know, uh, Lorenzo is the only person in his house that speaks English. I mean, and he's going to pay the electric bill and he's going to the bank. I mean, this is like nine-year-old kids, 10-year-old kids, or they're taking care of their younger... I mean, I was horrified during the pandemic. Even my wife doesn't really understand what a teacher goes through. I I said during the pandemic, I'm like, wow, this is gonna be a real eye-opener for America. And my wife's like, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, America's gonna soon learn that 15 million kids in this country, they go to school so they can eat. And she was just horrified by that. I'm like, oh, it's the truth. I mean, you have no idea. Like a lot of my students, they never ate over the weekend you know they were coming to school monday morning so they get breakfast like so again that's a very long answer but to the teachers out there i think it's really important to kind of have these discussions with other teachers to realize okay you know what are some ways we can get through this you kind of need that support system I mean, we're talking about the social emotional learning needs of the kids but i see that we need it. we're losing so many educators because they're just beat up. I mean, you see some of these things every single day, and then you're not getting any kind of support. And you're reading the newspaper and watching TV, and they're blaming every single problem on teachers. And I'm like, well, there's there are bad teachers. There are bad cops. There are bad McDonald's employees. you know, There are bad football players. You don't judge the entire profession on the lowest common denominator. And it's the same thing I would tell my students is we're always going to, we're going to be higher than everybody else. We're going to set a higher standard. Uh, And I used to, my kids always had the highest test scores. And the reason I think was because I always told them we have to take this test. And I'm telling you right now, this is dumb. This test proves nothing. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to ace it because if we ace it, they're going to have to listen to us. But if we, if we stink at it, then they're going to think, Oh, you're just making an excuse. I'm like, so let's ace it and just say, Hey, to heck with your dang test. Um, And my kids, kids are amazing. I, like it's all expectations. I know you guys believe I'm preaching to the choir. It's expectations. What can we do? I, uh, I have very high expectations for my students. I, when I first started teaching one of the, I used to watch lean on me, the movie every single day to inspire me. And a friend changed my life and he changed my outlook on that movie. Cause it's, it's with Morgan Freeman. He plays the principal in Patterson, New Jersey and the climactic scene. Uh, he stands up in front of all of his students, and he's like, "I have your test scores. You have all passed the minimum skills exam." And I'm, I mean, I'm always like in tears. I'm like, "This is the inspiring part of the movie." And my friend who was watching the movie with me is like, "Oh, they passed the minimum skills exam. That means they still aren't competitive." And when he said that, it changed my entire outlook on teaching. Like, you know what? You're right. I got to get my kids to be better because they're up against. They, they have enough strikes against. I mean, I. I, again, I, I hate always giving the football example, but I'm looking at Jalen Hurts. I'm like, how many not Jalen Hurts are there out there? How many kids slipped through those cracks? I mean, Jalen Hurts had somebody that believed in him, and that's what helped him get through. And the, the man shows extraordinary character for somebody his age. But, you know, how can we, how can we support these kids? I, like I see, I talk to people all the time that they had some teacher say something negative to them, and you lost them. And I always emphasize this to teachers. I'm like, every day you have a you have a choice. Are you going to be Ben Kenobi or are you going to be Darth Vader? Are you going to be the light or are you going to be the darkness? It's just as takes just as much energy energy to say something nice to a person as to say something rotten. I'm sorry, I'm up on my soapbox, but you got uh, me passionate. Guys. <laughs> I love it. I, I think
2: that that you're speaking so much of, and maybe you have the platform that some of us don't feel like we have. I know Ken and I have the privilege because we talk to great educators and. They navigate both what you have to do with what you want to do for kids. And that's the privilege and and kind of speaking to that privilege of education. I think I, I will, I will share teaching in a very rural district in Lancaster County, which is very conservative. A lot of the the families have a tremendous amount of respect for the education system. I'm very fortunate in that way that to see, even though it's, you know, probably the the one of the less preferred districts when I first, uh, a, a joking comment when my wife got hired, she and I work at the same school district, a friend asked, you really want to go teach at the district? And some of the comments that you, you brought up about where you taught and, and the challenges you faced, I can relate to uh, in a rural sense. And what I found was, through the years, I saw that as a negative and a transition to a positive. My families, I saw a great opportunity for them to see light in kids, which wasn't always the case. I, I wasn't battling my child is gifted compared to another kid that parent thinks the same type of thing, and nothing that there, there's no wrong, you know, in that aspect as well. But I found the actions that I did gave me greater perm- permissions with families in my community that almost unlocked possibilities of respect and appreciation and what i was doing was going further even if it's a harder we you know you mentioned the judgment we deal with that internal judgment of what i feel like for this kid kids are incredibly resilient they don't always necessarily see that they have it less than they see it next to their classmates but they don't see it from that macro perspective of this is their life, this is how they're going, whether the English second language, as you mentioned, kids that are nine years old, dictating what my questions are to parents to generate if there are any questions. And a lot of times it's, we just trust you. We trust you. And that transitioning from a perspective that they're not invested to they just trust you to the most that they can was a huge shift for me I guess where I'd I'd like to take that is I really do believe every day that at least I get to go into the classroom. It's a privilege to be in that role and in that opportunity to make a difference. And some days I feel like I make more of a difference than others, but the addictive quality of being a teacher is the opportunity to make that connection. And Ken, I know you can feel free to answer this. I know we talk on... (laughs) many times after the class after the podcast is done about when you lose that opportunity to have the most direct impact your internal reason for getting into education and sometimes your your drive for that wanes because you don't feel like you have as much of an impact seeing that we do very clearly have an issue with getting qualified people to believe that teaching is a great position How do we rebrand? And I know this is a massive question that we may not be qualified to answer. How do we continue to remind ourselves that teaching is not necessary, but it is a gift of a career if you're willing to handle it?
1: What I love that you just said, Matt, and I applaud you for this, is really uh, turning around what Uh, you could perceive as a negative and turning it into a positive and working with the community and the families, because, you know, there are different families out there. And I love that you're looking at, well, okay, this is where we're coming from. Let let me figure out what your strengths are and let's, let's go from there. I mean, and I think what you said, which just got to me, I'm like, Oh, okay. What you're basically defining a good teacher as, is you're first a, a really great learner you're learning more than anything. Uh, Well, This is where they're coming from. I mean, I started off as a high school history teacher and I love teaching history. The first thing I teach people when I teach history is history books are usually written by the winners. Every event in history has multiple points of view. And in this class, we're gonna learn to listen to different points of view. You don't have to agree with the point of view. I I mean, I I have no problem uh, uh, people disagreeing with me, but we're gonna learn how to have respectful conversations and uh, have different points of view. And I used to always tell the parents, I'm like, well, I'm here to teach your kids how to think, not what to think. And I encourage you to uh, insert your beliefs all you want and to talk to me, communicate with me. Um, You know, (laughs) reading is my passion. And uh, if there's ever a parent that tells me they don't want me to read a certain book to my kids, here's my strategy. I don't read that book. You know, there's 4 million books written in English every single year. I, I'm sure I can find something that that parent's going to like. I'm not here to get, I mean, there's other battles that I can fight. I, I'm not going to fight that battle. I mean, I, I love Harry Potter. I love those books. My wife thinks it's the devil's work, you know, and I'm like, well, honey, if your faith is so shallow that a children's book can sway your faith, maybe you need to reexamine your faith. But that's, that's a point of view. She has her, you know what? If she was a parent of one of my students, Harry Potter has gone. And it's fine. I mean, what you were, you were getting me thinking about it because among my many roles, I'm a, I'm a distinguished visiting professor at the American university in Cairo in Egypt. And uh, every time I go back to Egypt, I always love to do all kinds of parent seminars and kid motivational assemblies at all the different schools in the area. And so the first time I went, I went to an Islamic school and I I had all these preconceptions about what's what's going to happen at the Islamic school. And it was amazing. You guys would be, <laughs> Ken and Matt, you'll especially be amazed. At two in the afternoon, 400 parents showed up to my presentation. And it was like the Muslim Brotherhood. All the guys had all the long beards. All the women were wearing burqas. You only see their eyes. And we were talking like we're talking right now. And I said to myself, shame on me. I had all these preconceptions. And I started off my talk. I said, so I was reading this book the other day. Have any of you ever read the Quran?" And they all start laughing. I'm like, oh, well, then you know the story. When the angel Gabriel appears to Muhammad in the cave, what's his first instruction to Muhammad? Because the first pillar of Islam is to read. And so I looked at the parents. I'm like, so not only should we get your kids reading, it's actually written in your most sacred text. It's your duty to get your kids reading. And I had 400 parents nodding in agreement. (laughs) And Ken and Matt, I'm like, who would have thought the Christian dude, his best audiences are Muslims? I mean, I just love speaking to Muslim audiences now, but I learned. I learned how much, how little I didn't know about that culture. I made all these, you know, I would love to teach in Lancaster County to, in a very conservative community, just because I've never had that experience. And I would love to see, well, okay, what are the values of this community? you know, and again, I'm not going to go against those values. I'm going to figure out, it's like what you're talking about with technology. How do I take this and turn it into an asset without damaging where I want to take the kids? Because I always want kids to think at a different level. I, I, I always, you guys, I know you're the same as me. I mean, I became a teacher. People are like, what do you, what's your mission? I'm like, oh, one of my kids is, is going to cure cancer and another one's going to win the Nobel prize in, and people are like, "Do you believe that?" I'm like, "Of course I believe that. Like, I'm I'm here to create better human beings. That's why I'm here." And you had said something. I I think it was you Ken earlier. Like, you might not even see those results while you're teaching them, but what you did is you planted some seeds, and it's going to help out that teacher three years down the line. Uh, and I, I that's why it's so interesting to measure teachers. I'm like, well. You don't really know. It's kind of like, uh, I mean, I'm looking at athletes too. I mean, uh, people are like, oh, Tom Brady's the greatest football player of all time. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's nice he wasn't drafted by the Lions. You know, maybe his environment helped him. Maybe the coach had something to do with it. I mean, I'm not, maybe maybe he is the best and he never needed a good coach and a good system. But I'm saying it's a lot trickier when you don't have those supports around you. Uh, I, have a, a, I have a posted above my desk. And I, I look at it every day and it says this simple phrase, it says, what if I'm wrong? Cause I have to question myself all the time. What if I, I, this is what good educators, all of all of us are doing all the time. Or, you know, you have good days, you have bad days. On the bad day, you're trying to figure out, well, what could I have done differently? How did I handle that? Man, I lost my temper, I yelled at a kid today. Oh my gosh, I'm going to hell. You know, I'm gonna, I always tell teachers, hey, we all have a bad day. It doesn't mean you quit your job, become an alcoholic and start talking to dumpsters. No, you know, grow from it. Let's figure out how you, how you overcome that. And I mean, we're all our toughest, our own toughest critics, but what I I really applaud you thinking about that. I I like that. You got me thinking about that too, is, uh, is the best teachers are, are learners first. And, uh, uh, I think that's really sage advice for everybody listening is uh, what can we do to shut up and learn more about each kid? You know, uh, how do we learn about uh, the students at Penridge or in Lancaster uh, or Anchorage, Alaska? I mean, everybody's a little bit different. And that's why I would say nationalized education is a waste of time because every, every place in America is completely different. Every place in Lancaster County is completely different. You can go to a school in Lancaster. I promise you this this teacher on this end of the school is totally different than this teacher on this end of the school. I mean, this is what people don't understand. I'm like, it's not McDonald's. You can't replicate the same recipe everywhere. It just doesn't work that way. Um, and maybe it, I, maybe that's great. I I tell people I was on a a, a radio show yesterday, and a, the the interviewer she asked, uh, public school or private school, Danny? And I'm like, well, yes. You know, some kids it's a public, some kids it's a private, some kids it's a parochial, some kids it's a it's a magnet school, some, some kids, kids it's a home school, vocational school. Yeah, I mean, some kid I mean, everybody's a little bit different. Uh, you know, I whatever works for that kid. I I I mean, I'm I'm not a big hooked on phonics guy, but if I see that that's what works with this kid, guess what? I'm teaching him hooked on phonics because that's what works for this kid. I'm not gonna. I love watching coaches. The best coaches. They take the hand they're dealt, and they they change the system based on the strengths of their players. You know, if 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 Philadelphia, if the Eagles didn't have Jalen Hurts as their quarterback, they had uh, 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 you know your, your backup Minshew, a totally yep. different type of quarterback. He's a drop back passer. Well, you you design a totally different offense. So, I mean, this guy's not mobile. We can't run it this way. You figure out what your strengths are. If you have if you have great defensive backs but your linebackers aren't that good that you you set up a different defense that's around your strengths how do i make sure to highlight these players that's why you lost the super bowl by the way is you weren't making adjustments.
0: all right all right you didn't have to bring that up <laughs> it's only been it's only been two days so yeah no but you know what you what you said too about not always seeing not always seeing the results and i can remember Maybe three or four years into, into my career when I was sitting down having parent teacher conferences, talking with the parents, you know, talking about strategies, especially around fifth grade. Some parents were trying to let go a little bit and not be super involved with always, you know, checking the kids' agendas and staying on top of their things. Still being there, but trying to get the, the students to be a little bit more independent. And then I would say we're we're on the same page, we're both saying the same message. It's highly likely that we don't see the result of this at all this year. You might see the result next year. You might see the result their first year in high school, their first year in college. It's important that you continue to encourage these behaviors and these strategies that we're trying to get them to use, but it's only gonna work when they listen and they start using them. If we keep telling them, it's gonna be there somewhere, but they eventually have to decide to use it. And unfortunately, a lot of times, and I I think this is positive in of itself because school is a a safe place in so many ways. So it's probably not going to click until they lose something because it didn't click. They don't get to play a sport because their grades are too poor. They don't get to be in the play because their grades are too poor or whatever that is. And, And then it'll click. And all of those strategies that we kept hammering in and kept encouraging and kept modeling, it'll be there, but they have to be the ones to decide to use that. So you know at, at times i feel like teachers to keep a positive mindset we won't, we almost have have to have an investor's mindset it's all it's all long term you invest for the long term you invest for the long haul we're not trying to you know short stocks and that kind of stuff with kids we got to invest in the in the long term benefit of them so you mentioned chat gpt earlier we have actually not talked about that at all in our show so i'm going to define it a little bit and then i would love to have you define it further but i'd really love to know from you if you were in the classroom right now, let's, and let's go with secondary. You mentioned teaching high school social studies. So that's a perfect subject area that can be highly impacted by chat GPT. So if you've never checked it out, whenever you're not driving Google chat, GPT, sign up and try it. But I've tried a couple different things. Like I wrote, write me a five paragraph essay on George Washington as the president of the United States. It gave me a, Very, very well done. Five paragraph essay. I would say middle school, it was an A. And it was an organized intro, three paragraphs that have different focuses, topic, sentence, transition words, and then a summary conclusion. And the first one that it generated was, it talked about, it was more of a uh, chronological organization. So it started with him emerging as a general, then emerging as a political leader, and then emerging, and then his work as president. I said, regenerate this. And it gave me a new five paragraph and it was completely focused on his presidency. One paragraph was on foreign policy. One paragraph was on, I think like fiscal policies. And, and I think I, fr- I forget what the third one was, but it was completely different focus. But again, it was a middle school. It was an A, no doubt. So if you were teaching high school social studies how would you, and let's just say your district doesn't have a policy, like you're not allowed to, like all that's out the window. What would you do to bring attention to this with your students? How would you utilize it in your classroom, not utilize it? What would be the conversations that you would have with your students related to this technology?
1: No, I love that, Ken. So again, just so people know, and I apologize, I I throw out a term that uh, I just assume people know, and that's stupid. That's that's where you get in trouble. So chat GPT, Uh, again like Ken just said uh, Google it Uh, it, it's artificial intelligence and it gives you a line where you can type in anything you want and so I'll type in can you write me a social media message about inspiration and within like four seconds it's types 200 words or less, a Twitter, a a tweet that I can do, or you can type, give me, can you write a five paragraph essay on George Washington's policies? And I, I'm a big believer in embracing technology. I mean, this is the world progress. I mean, there was a point where the Greeks were complaining that writing was for lazy people. You should be able to just memorize everything. I mean, this has been the same argument throughout history. As a teacher, I would, I would actually show the kids how to use it. I'm like, here's what I want you to do let's type in anything. Here, what do you want to learn? Hey, type, um, I just had, uh, some kids do this the other day. I'm like, uh, uh, on the chat GPT, uh, type in, um, give me a song about my teacher that makes them sound like the coolest person on the planet. And it came up with like a four verse song that rhymed that was a pretty decent song. I thought, um, I would just embrace it. I, I've always argued this to kids. I'm like, you know, there are no original ideas. There's just people who forget to name their sources. And so if I was teaching it, I'm like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do the chat GPT, which fulfills a lot of our state requirements in, tor- in, tr- in terms of grammar and things like that. And, or, or you can make it, if you're an English teacher, you can say, okay, I bet you there's some gra- grammatical errors because the AI is not picking up the grammatical errors. Can you pick up I'll I'll give you five points for every grammatical error you can spot. You you know, here's another point I always make in education because I I work with a lot of kids that are gamers. And I always make this point. I'm like, isn't it interesting that in education you start at 100% and we just deduct points, whereas in gaming you start at zero and we add points. And I try and make this point to teachers. I'm like, are you a deductor or are you an enabler? You know, I, I have no problem with a kid starting at zero. I'm like, well, here's what it takes to get an A. Do you want to do what it takes to get an A as opposed to saying you're starting off at an A and you can just go down from here? I mean, that's the way education works. I I don't think that's the right message to be sending to kids. So if I'm using ChatGPT, like on a historical essay, I'd say, okay, let the ChatGPT write the essay. Just write it that you got the source from ChatGPT. And then what I'd like you to do is uh, and I'll give you like six different options of how you can do this. But I want you to disagree with what the ChatGPT wrote. Uh, Give me your argument. You can create a song. You can create a board game. You can uh, create a video. You can reenact a play or something. I'm going to try and figure out different strokes for different folks. uh, But I would enable it. I I really have this problem as a public speaker. People like, oh, wow. You know, where'd you get this idea? I'm like, this idea has been talked about 50 million times. I mean, you know, there's nothing original. I mean, President Kennedy, one of his most famous quotes is that's not what you can do that's not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I'm like, wow, that's a great quote. Unfortunately, it was said a hundred years earlier by uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, but JFK gets the attribution. I mean, I always tell kids, if you want to sound intelligent, whatever you say, just say Abraham Lincoln said that, you know, because you're going to sound intelligent. I mean, it's it's silly. So I, I, I just believe in, I mean, I, I I did this with the internet with kids. I'm like, I have no problem with you getting all of your sources off of the internet. Here's how you you... You write the reference. and I don't care if it's APA, by the way. I mean, all I need to know is where'd you get it from? What's the, is it a publication? What's the page? Can I locate this? If it's on, if it's a link, give me the link. I don't need, oh, you put the link before the date. I don't care about that. I just need you to actually source information because people don't source information. I'm like, well, where'd you get this idea? Uh, I get ideas all the time and I was saying, making this point to teachers, I'm like, why are you writing lesson plans from scratch? I mean, your lesson plan has been written 50,000 times before you. It's probably online for free. And now and
0: it's on ChatGPT.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, and I'm not kidding, Ken, you're absolutely yeah. right.
0: No, you, it can.
1: I, I mean, I say, well, why don't you download it from there? And the time you used to spend trying to reinvent the wheel, let's figure out how to accommodate the students in this class, what their special needs are, for this lesson. So I'm a big fan of technology. I tell people, you know, don't fear it, embrace it. You know, I, I work with parents that's, you know, a lot of uh, low income parents, and I, I'm always encouraging them to, to read with their kids at home. And they'll say, oh, we have nothing to read at home. I'm like, oh, you do. I bet you you do. President Bush Sr. 30 years ago signed a very important law in this country that said every television set sold in America has to have closed captioning. So one of the tips I always give parents is, Turn on the closed captioning on the TV. And parents say, well, wait a second. The show's in English and the subtitles are in English. What good does that do? I'm like, well, that's a fair point. But let me make a point. Have you ever watched a show with subtitles and not looked at the subtitles? It's very difficult to do. Your brain is actually directed towards the text. And there's actually research to support this. I mean, if you look at reading scores around the world, the more kids watch TV, the lower their reading scores are in every single country on the planet except for one. The country where the kids watch the most TV also has the highest reading scores in the world. It's Finland. And people always ask, well, how can that be? I'm like, well, Finland makes really bad TV shows. And so what they have to do is they import all these old American sitcoms like Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island and Happy Days. And they translate them all into Finnish. The kids are reading the Finnish constantly. It's one of the best ways to boost your reading skills. Easy. Every parent can do it. Uh, Because what we're trying to do is to establish what are some positive, you both have been saying it this entire podcast, how do we establish positive habits? I mean, again, we might not see that benefit this year, but down the road, you know, you'll start seeing, I've been a coach my entire life. And I always tell kids, I'm like, I'm looking for, I'm looking for heart over talent because heart, I'm going to teach you the habits to help you win and work together. And it's going to be talent all the time. I mean, that's why watching that Super Bowl this year, I'm like, these are very evenly matched teams. They're very unselfish. I didn't see selfish players on either side. I'm like, they're very well coached, really well coached teams. Uh, And it's the same thing watching a class where I'm watching the kids help one another out. I mean, I was watching a, a class in Tokyo, Japan, and the teacher at the end of class every day, the last 10 minutes, she'd she'd encourage students to stand up and the students would talk about all the other students that helped them in class that day i'm like wow what a wonderful idea you know let's let's figure out what the strengths are of every you know that's why phil jackson was such a successful nba basketball coach was because he made his 12th man feel just as important as michael jordan or kobe bryant so as a teacher or as a principal how am i publicly acknowledging the importance of every single teacher every single student in my class how do i show them well we need oh my gosh Matt, you are a state capital expert. You know, if you don't show up at school, what are we going to do if we need to know the capital of South Dakota? I mean, Ken, you are my place value expert. What if I need to know about hundreds and thousands when you don't show up? Like, how do I publicly acknowledge all of you are good at something? I mean, every kid is good at something. Every, every I mean, when I taught preschool, I had a kid, a three-year-old, you know, Francisco. He couldn't even pronounce his name. I'm like, what's your name? He's like, "Foot, Flint. I show him this book, he's like, (gasps) Tyrannosaurus Rex. I'm like, wow, you can say a multi-syllabic dinosaur name, but you can't pronounce your own name. And I very quickly figured out that this kid loves dinosaurs, and this kid that nobody thought knew anything, I'm like, ask him about a stegosaurus. He can tell you every single fact about a stegosaurus. You know, you guys taught fourth and fifth grade. I love when we teach math. I'm like, math, you give me a kid. I got little boys, they say, this kid doesn't know anything about math. And all of a sudden they're like, yeah, but Jalen Hurts, he he passed for 304 yards the other night. He was, uh, he had a 44, he, he had a passer rating of 120. I mean, I'm like, the kid knows math. You just have to show him a way to use the math. I mean, this country is crazy. I mean, we graduate kids with calculus. They just don't know how to balance a checkbook. And I'm like, I'm not putting down calculus, but I'm saying let's show them how they're going to be using it in, in their daily life. Let's show people, why are you learning about George Washington? Is there anything important about that? I mean, I... I I don't know if anybody actually asked those questions. Why are we teaching that? Like, why is it important to know about George Washington? And if you can't come up with a reason, maybe you should re-examine that. I'm, you know, we. I was taught penmanship. Well, do you need to actually know penmanship anymore? I don't know many people that actually handwrite anything. I mean, maybe you do need penmanship, but I, I wonder why we're not, I don't see typewriting uh, offered in most schools at like kindergarten or first grade level. But I'm like, typing is actually going to be an important skill in your life. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I love these discussions. We don't have these discussions. And again, I might be wrong, which is fine. What I'm asking for, let's have the discussion folks. And let's have. Right. A, and, and, and
0: you're putting, you're putting the ideas out there. And you, when you were, when you were talking about the, you know, picking on the, the students experts, or the the expert of something that that really hits a heartstring for me. In in a keynote presentation I gave in August with another school district, that was a phrase that I commonly use and I encourage them to use in their classroom, the expert of. I was able to identify my students as the expert of something. And whether it's the experts, like you said, of place value or of illustrating, I'll never forget. I had a student who had a lot of uh, medical problems that were very apparent and When he joined the school year, when he joined our class halfway through the school year, he told me on the first day of school that he loved to draw. So I said, What do you love to draw? And I think it was, he said, I can draw a superhero. All right, great. Draw me a superhero. So I sent him off into the back. He's drawing. And I'm just thinking to myself, Please be good. Please be good. Please be good. And it was unbelievable. It was the best drawing I've ever seen out of a fifth grader. And so anytime drawing was involved in what we were doing, I would always say, Hey, remember, Jacob, he's, he's the expert of drawing. If you wanna hire him out to help with your illustrations, go for it, right? Susie, she's the expert of cutting. You know, if you need a perfect circle, cut out. You, and I had a teacher ask me, they are like, how do you do that and not, not make students feel left out? And I said, you have to find a, you have to find something that every student is the expert of, but I promise you, you can if you just, if you're patient, it doesn't have to be the first day of school, and you just, you really focus on those relationships and you find something, it can be something so simple or something complex, but finding that is, is so empowering for the, for those students. So I could talk all night with you, Danny, but I want to be respectful of, of your time. Can I, and, and I want to go ahead, Matt. I, I, just wanna, I just want to, I just
2: want to make a, a real quick question or kind of point. You know, I, I introduced a, a, an Alexa into my classroom about four or five years ago. And so a policy that I have in my classroom at this point is that if I could ask Alexa and get the answer to that question, then it's not a question worth asking. And I think that type of mentality is something that I learned. I was trying to look up who the the keynote was, but they talked about Wolfram Alpha, if you're not familiar. Um, which i'm sure you guys are but if you're not familiar from the audience point of view it is essentially a ask jeeves or a google search of numerical information whether it's timeline uh different complex mathematical problems it is a direct way that a kid could technically re- type in an exact mathematical equation and get the answer every single time and the question that they posed is you now know about this resource are you going to act like ignorance is bliss. act like it's not there, act like the kids shouldn't have access to it? Or do you teach the kids how to harness it? Because I think that if we use chat GPT, like we use voice to text, you know, I, I get messages from Ken all the time. They are occasionally uh, less than perfectly written. Um, I'm not quite sure exactly
0: I thought you were gonna say they're occasionally coherent right. because usually they're not. All right,
2: all right. <laughs> but that being said, you know, we classically deal with we we dictate and we don't check and we send in. And I think that is where we create safeguards in education. Ken, that's where the point that I want to make is like as we kind of like we talked about any technology, we create safeguards to allow the kids to make it as productive as possible. I think the attribution Danny, like you said, what that argument is or how you could display that learning. You know, if it is just a typed piece at the end, yeah, th- this could be a really tough item for education. But if you're striving for things more than just the idea of can you access information, they can very easy ac- easily access information. We have to figure out ways to actually drive that to deeper thinking. And that's the beauty, that's the art behind the education, um, because the science, you know, will let the AI take care of it.
1: Yeah, well, I love that, Matt. I think we need to embrace embrace these things, not ignore them. You know, I always point out to my kids, you know, I have a feeling you, you've seen this thing, the cell phone. And I'm like, when used properly, this can be a very powerful tool. So I always tell kids, I'm like, you know, most people are going on social media, which to me is just an outlet for a lot of people to gripe about something. Uh I, what I do is on my calendar, I'm always trying to learn new things. And so I have basically reminders every single day. And so, like, uh, I'm I'm a bad Christian. I'm not one of these people that's memorized Scripture. And so I'm trying to learn uh, Scripture. And so right now, every day at 818 in the morning, I get an alert to, to try and remember Deuteronomy 818. Remember the Lord your God. He's the one who gives you the power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant. He confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Okay, I got that one. Uh, when I, when I, uh, well, I was going to say when I read the book Dune, I actually saw the movie Dune and then I was interested and read the book Dune. And there's this thing called the litany against fear. And so every day at nine eleven in the morning, I have this, up, I have to, I'm trying to learn it where it's, uh, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death. I haven't learned it yet. Uh fear is the little death that creates total obliteration. I will face my it's this great thing. Um, you know, I'm trying to learn uh I love the St. Crispian Day speech from Henry V by Shakespeare, which is act four, scene four. So every afternoon at four oh four, I go through the fifty lines trying to memorize that. Um, my wife and I got married on December twentieth, and so every day at twelve twenty I have an alert to tell my wife I love her. I mean, so these are the little things that you can do with your phone that are you know so if i'm stuck like today i was at the post office and it was a long line imagine that and everybody else is freaking out and i didn't have a problem because i'm like oh this gives me a great study time to learn some of these things uh so I, i'm a big believer in let's figure out let's not ignore technology television let's figure out how to use the television let's figure out how to use this movie i mean even if it's a negative example or something I'm like okay well what did we learn from this uh again let's look at different points of view um, and it makes for a great classroom discussion,
0: for sure. So I want to I want to wrap things up here with our exit ticket, which is the same four questions we ask every guest every week, and some of it we've discussed a little bit, but we can we can boil it down to uh, to remind our audience and our listeners. So question number one: What is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student's school experience
1: better? Say their name. The first name is the most powerful thing you can ever say, and so every day. I meet and greet every single student at my door, whether they're kindergarteners or 12th graders. I, I address them by their name, ask them how they're doing and say, are we gonna have a good day today? Because uh, I want them making a commitment, uh, but say their name. Most A lot of kids, we, we forget. Uh, you might be the only person that says something positive to that kid today. So take it very seriously.
2: Beautiful. So uh, this may be difficult for you, Uh, you have to boil it down to the single best piece of advice that you've received. uh, And it could have come from a colleague, a supervisor, or even a student.
1: (laughs) The single best advice I ever received was from, uh, uh, so reading is my thing. And one of my mentors was Jim Trelease who wrote the read aloud handbook. I think every teacher and every parent should have a copy of that book uh, on the importance of reading aloud to kids. And uh, after I gave a speech, I had like 500 people that loved my speech and I had three people that thought I was the antichrist. And Jim looked at me and he said, but you don't understand Danny 5% of your audience, they hate you and they hated you before they ever met you. There are some people that are just really angry and they want to be angry and there's nothing you can do about it. And that was very good advice. I would say the same thing for us, you know, um, it's like the the principal trying to accommodate everybody or the teacher trying to accommodate everybody is what's that story is there's the pastor and he has a hundred people in his congregation and he finds out 99 people love him and one person hates him. And so he tries to figure out who the one person is. He finally figures it out. He changes his whole routine and he gets the results a year later and one person loves him and 99 people hate him. You can't please everybody. (laughs) That's Boiling it down, you can't please everybody. Yeah, it's a, a
2: beautiful piece of advice. So the next one really comes down to knowing that the school year goes in waves. Uh, there are days, you know, even weeks that we struggle to survive and make it through. What is something you feel like every educator needs to hear to help power up through those those moments of struggle?
1: Two words, sick day. Take the day off. I mean, if you're feeling down, take the day off. Go to the mall. You know, Uh uh, try not to discipline other people's children while you're there. Uh, treat yourself to a nice lunch, read a book, go to a movie. You know, what's going to happen is when you go to school the next day, you'll be re-energized and so will your students. You know, and I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I I was looking for a substitute, I was always looking for the crankiest old hag. So the kids were begging to get me back. So uh, <laughs> sick day. <laughs>
0: no, it's it's great advice. And frankly, it's one that my co-host here needs needs to to hear a lot too. It's you get them, you need to use them. And now more than now more than ever, you're never gonna get questioned if you say, I need it's a mental health day, because that's a, a term that we can easily use now. But I, I would absolutely encourage it, whether you like you said, it's a day to sit in a dark room by yourself and do absolutely nothing, or take a sick day to spend the day with your kids because that's the, the mental break that you need. But when you when you give yourself that break you come back re-energized. And and I often, when I'm working with teachers in my district and even on social media, and and we hit the weekend, we hit breaks. I tell them, shut your computer off and turn it on. Uh, I'll allow you to turn it on the day before. You want to get things organized before you walk in Monday morning. I get that, but it's got to be shut off and put away because you're not helping anybody by by constantly being involved and, and burning yourself out. You're not, you're not giving your best.
1: Amen. So, my first my first year teaching Ken, I had three roommates that were all teachers, and one of them caught me lesson planning at 1.30 in the morning, and he said something that changed my life. He said, Danny, work will always be there. Leave it there. And so I made a decision. From that point forward, I'd get to work really early. Sometimes I'd leave really late, but when I left school, I left school. You owe it to your friends, you owe it to your family. Most important, what you just said, Ken, you owe it to yourself. You can't give your best. I mean, it's a a marathon, it's not a sprint. The reason we lose so many teachers is they're putting in 25-hour days, eight days a week.
0: Yep, for sure. Now, now you're cheating a little bit. I think that was another piece of advice that someone gave you. <laughs> oh, we, asked for, we asked for one. We asked
1: for one. Well,
0: you, <laughs> All you right. Really, so, last
1: a long answer kind of guy.
0: <laughs> last question here. It's so easy to fall into facilitating a repetitive classroom. What is it that you think separates the teachers who are the ones constantly seeking to change, innovate, and adopt new teaching strategies?
1: They have fun. I mean. My kids get bored with me all the time. I'm always just uh, trying to figure out a way to keep them from not being bo- I mean, my, my kids would get bored. I'm like, hey, kids, you're not listening to me. I'm going go to go get Australian Pete to come read to you. I'd leave the classroom, come back in and say, good I Mike's just got done putting a shrimp on the barbie. Your teacher said you want me to read to you. The kid's like, yay, it's Australian Pete. It's me. You know, 2.15, I'd bring in Grumpy Old Man. You kids, shut up. I'm going to read to you. The kid's like, yay, it's Grumpy Old Man. You know, uh, I just... I wanted to laugh. I'm like, you know, if I'm not having fun, this job sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. I better no, it's, have fun.
0: It's, it's so true. It, that reminds me of a, a time when I was teaching fifth grade. We had our gym teacher was out. There was no sub coverage. And I had gym that day. So oh. easily could have ruined my day. I could have been miserable. I lost my prep. And so I dropped the kids off at, at the door. I said, all right, have fun at gym. And they waited there. And I walked around through the <laughs> office to get into the gym the other way. I took my tie off. Uh, like unbuttoned my shirt, two buttons, rolled my sleeves up and opened the door and acted like someone completely different. I never broke character the entire gym class. I made the kids learn sprints. I like, and then I said, okay, you know, have a nice day. I'm sure your teacher will be here soon. And I walked back around the, and these are fifth graders. Like, and I, and then when I picked them up, I still refused to acknowledge the fact that I was their gym teacher. For, and I never did. Like for the rest of the year, I never acknowledged the fact that that happened.
1: Did you give your te- your gym teacher a different name?
0: I think so. I don't. I, yeah,
1: I don't. If the kids are begging for that teacher again, that's great. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, great idea.
2: <laughs> it is. It is a uh, you know having fun. I think doesn't get said and shared enough. I I, I enjoy getting to go and be. The ridiculous version of myself, whatever I feel comfortable, and I will tell you, Ken will tell you that what I'm comfortable doing and wearing and being in my classroom, you don't don't all have to replicate. That's for sure. But <laughs> no, your version of your fun is is what's important. Yeah, that's true. It's yeah. what you're comfortable with. So, well,
1: and um, style is overrated. I mean, every teacher is a little bit different, and mm-hmm. I always tell, I mean, I always tell my beginning teachers, I say, hey. If you're not funny, don't tell jokes. I mean, like, I love having fun with the kids, but some people like to be the disciplinarian. I'm like, Hey, you got to be you. Totally. You know, you do you better than anybody else. Don't try and be somebody else.
2: Absolutely. So I I know I can speak for Ken to say that we've enjoyed this conversation, even on Valentine's day, maybe not the most romantic (laughs) conversation, but it's been great. Um, All that being said, I, I would love to, you know. Know how to continue to follow you and the changes you are bringing to education. What is the best way for our audience to connect with you going forward?
1: Well, as my Valentine's Day gift to you, Matt, and to you, Ken, and to your audience, I wanted to give everybody a couple of freebies. So if you go to com, again, freegiftfromdanny.com, I'm going to give everybody a complimentary e copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. It's a book I wrote for a, a principal who was trying to keep his faculty and staff positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So every, every week, I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation, demonstrates the same concept, you can read that in five minutes. I'm also gonna give everybody access. Uh, last summer, I did a five day reading challenge online for about 700 parents, where every day for five consecutive days, i provide all kinds of tips for an hour on how to get your kids excited about reading because again the more excited we get kids to read the more likely they are to read the more they read the better they get you know one of my mentors um, uh charlie tremendous jones used to say the same today as you will be in five years except for two things the people you meet and the books you read so i always tell my kids be wise surround yourself with people that lift you up and make sure you only read things that are positive for your mind because you are what you read so read good stuff Uh, so that's free gift from danny.com and I, i i just applaud both you both of you matt and ken everything that you're doing you know and all the teachers out there people hear all kinds of nonsense all the time uh i i thank you for your service my brother's in the military and he's a lieutenant colonel in the air force And we were out at lunch and he was in his uniform and they gave him his lunch for free and said thank you for your service and i'm like what about me? I've had more weapons drawn on me than he's ever had. I'm like, what's, where's the love? Uh, and I, I, I see people that they just ignore how important it is. Everything that you do, uh, every single day. And it's so important because I, I, I truly, you know, I joke a lot, but you might be the difference between this kid having a horrible life and a great life, believing in themselves or feeling crummy about themselves. So I applaud everything that you do. You keep on doing it, spread some joy, and all those people out there, uh, actually, here's a tip I used to give my beginning teachers. I'm like, think about that teacher that had an impact in your life. And I want you to write that person a thank you letter telling them he made a difference. You might be the person that keeps that person in the classroom, too. So uh, thanks for all you do, guys. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Danny. Thank you so much. It's <clears throat> It's been a joy to, to sit down and talk with you. Uh, I would encourage everyone to visit that website as well as check out Danny on social media. Uh, he's, a, he's a great person to follow and, and reach out to him to bring him out to speak to your your staff. If you're a leader or if you're a teacher, encourage your district leaders to bring him out because he will bring that, that positive message to your staff. And I've, I've seen it in person myself, so I would highly encourage that as well. So, again, thank you for your time.
2: And, Matt, why don't you take us on out of here? All right. As we power down this episode, without a doubt, Danny, you've left us feeling powered up. Thank you for the time and everyone Make a difference tomorrow, and we'll talk to you next week.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on YouTube. Each week we get to talk to amazing educators. We're making a positive impact on the lives of students, their colleagues, administrators, and education as a whole. It's been such a privilege every week to be able to talk to these incredible individuals, learn from them, grow with them, and better myself and all of education through these conversations. If you haven't already, please consider sharing this with a colleague, someone who can benefit and be powered up from the experience of listening to these incredible conversations. Because of Powered Up, we are powering education by empowering you.